Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. You see, in moments like this, I find it comforting to know that God knows how we feel. God knows what it's like to lose someone that he loves, a son. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a close friend to senseless suffering, because Jesus did. You see, there's this amazing story in scriptures, John chapter 11, where Jesus deals with the death of a loved one, tragically, and, uh, and I think it gives us a path forward here. It comes from John chapter 11, uh, you may be familiar with it. The story opens up with Jesus getting a message from two of his friends, Mary and Martha, about one of his dearest friends, Lazarus. Lord, come quick. Lazarus is sick, and if you don't come and do your healing thing, then we might lose him. We've, like, we've seen you heal plenty of others. We know what you can do. Now come do the thing that you do for, for, your, for your friend, for your close friend. You've done it for strangers. Do it for him. Seems like a fair request based on Jesus' ministry up to this point. But what happens next is a little bit difficult to understand, isn't it? Because you know what Jesus does. Mary and Martha say, Jesus, come quick. But Jesus does not come quick. John chapter 11, verse 5, it says, Although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally he said to his disciples, let's start the journey back to Judea. And Lazarus dies before Jesus gets there. Now, to be honest, this, can, this is exactly what can frustrate us in moments like this, isn't it? Why doesn't God come quick? Why doesn't he step in to rescue these situations? Why doesn't he act in ways that are consistent with, I don't know, my timing or my vision for what is good and what's best? Now, if you know how the Bible story goes, Jesus eventually gets there, he raises Lazarus from the dead, um, and he'll do the same for every single one of us someday, praise God. But here's what I wanna point out to you, okay? Death was on the horizon, but Jesus' life would not be dictated by death. Let me say that again. Jesus' life would not be dictated by death. For us, it's the thing we, uh, we fear most, isn't it? So much of our time goes into avoiding it or prolonging life. So much of our energy goes into worrying about death. Not Jesus. He was not afraid of his death. He is not afraid of his best friend's death. He's not afraid of your death either. Jesus will not be owned, hurried, scared, or ruined by the reality of death. He mourns it, as we will see. He hates it, as we know. He will defeat it in about a week, as we celebrated last week, but he will not be defeated by it. Remind yourself of that today. Now, why, why? Well, because, you see, Jesus had the power of eternal life. Still does. He knew death is just a door. In fact, he knew that not long after Lazarus' death, uh, death, he would die on the cross. But he also knew that death is not the end. It does not get the final word. He does. Life does. Life after death, life after life, that is a reality in light of Jesus. And the question for us today is, do we believe that? 
Will we hold on to that? Now, back to the story for you. Finally, after Jesus makes his way to Bethany, Lazarus is buried there. Um, when he gets there, Lazarus has been uh, dead for four days. He's mega late, right? Long gone. And uh, his sisters, Mary uh, and Martha, were not happy with Jesus. Why didn't he come quick like they asked? Now, what's interesting here is that both Mary and Martha express their emotions, same situation, right? But they express their emotions entirely different. And Jesus responds to them entirely different. Mary expresses her anger towards Jesus through withdrawal, sadness, disappointment, isolation, and seclusion. She knew Jesus was coming, but if you read the passage, she doesn't even go out to meet him. Instead, she stays at home alone by herself. And that's how some of you feel today, just sad. You had to drag yourself to church this morning, or this just threw your whole week off. You're confused, you're upset with Jesus. These emotions are 100% understandable. They're human. Jesus was not disappointed with them in Mary. He's not disappointed with them in you because watch what Jesus does next, okay? Watch how he cares for her. It says, finally, when they got Mary out of the house and face to face with Jesus, you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't scold her. He doesn't tell her to get over it. He doesn't say, oh, ye of little faith, what's wrong with you? No, instead, you know what Jesus does? Shortest verse in the Bible. This is the context for it. It says that Jesus wept. He wept with her. He cries with his friend. He gets close enough to feel her pain so she can be close enough to feel his love in that moment. But he weeps with her. And I know many of us are weeping or overwhelmed with sorrow today. Let me remind you, Jesus weeps with us. He weeps with Louisville. He weeps with the families. He can empathize. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. I think as a pastor, by the way, sometimes it's this that people need most during hard times. They don't need some sort of theological explanation of theodicy or why there's evil allowed or the good God or what heaven's gonna be like. Or what, like all that's important and some people need that, but most people just need a friend. Most people just need to feel God's loving presence. Most people just need someone to wrap their arms around them and weep with them in the moment. So I want you to know today that Jesus weeps with you. He's ready to minister to you in that way. And I would encourage you to be that friendly, weeping presence of God to anyone who needs it this week in your life. Now, there's another sister in the story. You guys know that, right? Jesus responds totally different to her. Um, she responds different to Jesus. Instead of weeping, Jesus responds to her with truth and hope. Look at his and Martha's interaction. 1120, it says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And then Jesus said this to her. He said, I am the resurrection and life. I, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Then a few, a few verses later, he actually validates his words by rising Lazarus from the dead. But again, I want you to notice here, he offers Mary compassion 
and comfort because that's what she needs. He offers Martha truth and hope because that's what she needs. It shows Jesus' emotional intelligence here because although Martha is dealing with the exact same thing that Mary is, she needed something different from Jesus. What do you need from Jesus today? Do you need his friendly presence? He's there for that. Do you need a word of truth or a word of hope? He's there for that, uh, that too. Do you need something else? He's there for that. Just as he knew exactly what Mary needed and Martha needed, he knows exactly what you need as well if you'll open your heart to be ministered to by him. And you know what? Some of you are just like Martha. You need to be reminded today, even though it's a week post-Easter, of the truth of our hope. We have a living hope. And it's not just a hope for the future. It's a hope for the future that can change the way we live in the present. It's a hope from the future, if you will. I've used this before, but it's powerful. Viktor Frankl was a famous Jewish doctor, neurologist and psychologist, and uh, he survived the Nazi concentration camps. Feels like we've seen the worst of humanity over the last few years, right? Well, there have been generations of people who have come before us that have faced even darker moments than what we have, and they've recorded their, their experiences, their prayers. There's much to learn from them on how to get through this. Frankel was one. He was put in a camp during World War II, and while he was there, he observed the way people died, and he wrote about it. And, uh, and here's what he said. He said that while he's in the death camp, uh, he noticed that when people came face to face with just senseless suffering, there are basically three categories of people, okay? Uh, first category of people were people who just gave up hope. Gave up, they became bitter and numb and they died first. Second, he said there were people who, uh, who betrayed their moral code. They did whatever it took to survive, if you will. They conspired with the enemy. They became violent. They turned on their fellow sufferer. Basically, they allowed evil to make them evil, which is not the sort of existence that we wanna live. But last, he said, third, there was, a, there was a group of people who had hope. And he said they lived the longest. They had a belief about the future that changed their circumstances in the present. It was a living hope. See, the death camp could take away their homes. It could take away their freedom. It could take away their physical well-being, their families, their comfort, even their life. But it couldn't take away their hope. And Frankel concludes, this is my summary, that if you want to live well, you today want to live well in a world of senseless suffering, and it is, then you must have a transcendent hope. And we have one, Christians. We have one, praise God. Revelation 21, verse three, this is a vision of the end. Bring this vision into your present today. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, that's God, said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I say is trustworthy and true. Write it down, you take it to the bank. See, this world can cripple you physically. It could fill your body with cancer. It can make you incapable of doing things that everyone else can. It can put you in a bed. It can give you a disease. It can take away your soundness of mind. But guess what it can't touch? Your hope, your joy that one day you'll be made new. This world can traumatize you emotionally. It can make you feel lonely, confused, scared, or numb. It can steal your husband or take your sister or your friend and leave you wondering what's next. But I got good news for you. Can't touch your hope. 
that one day there will be a reunion. This world can cause bloodshed. It can steal your sense of safety. It can make you cry because the sadness of death, but it can't take your hope because it is protected in the future by God himself who says, write it down for it's trustworthy and true. And my prayer today, my prayer, my prayer today is that this hope would be yours. In the midst of grief, hope can start to heal your heart. We grieve Oh, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. The word of the Lord. So when grief comes to tell you that life as you know it is over, remind yourself the empty tomb tells you that eternal life has only just begun. When fear comes to convince you that you should fear evil, remind yourself that the cross says that love has defeated evil. When anger tells you to choose vengeance, Be reminded the gospel compels you to choose trust and forgiveness. When apathy tells you to give up, the gospel reminds you to keep going. When helplessness tells you that there's no way out of this, the gospel tells you that love can find a way. And when loneliness whispers that no one cares, be reminded today that the gospel shouts, Jesus does, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So through teary eyes, through heavy hearts, again, I pray this over us today, hope in the midst of grief that we would receive this living hope, that it would be our living hope and it would begin to heal. We're gonna transition now into a time of song. We're gonna sing three songs and take communion. And as the lyrics come up and the tears flow and the grief happens or the hope grows, let's just continue to pray and remind ourselves of the gospel that heals us, that saves us, and that one day will resurrect us. Will you stand right now? And let's sing together.